Amen. That's a blessing to hear. Uh, let's look at a couple verses. We spent a few weeks talking about truth. Now I want to talk about a really exciting subject. Ethics. All right. So metaphysics, that's a study of what is, that's asked the question, what is true? Uh, ethics is the philosophical area that asks what is good? So that's the question I want to talk about from a Christian and a biblical perspective. What is the good? What is good? What is good? What is evil? What is right? What is wrong? Uh, and that's a scary subject. Uh, but let's deal with it as, as uh, from the Word of God. Two verses of Scripture I want to look at this morning. Or is it that's not this morning? Where am I at? All right, Matthew chapter five. Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says here, of course, he's talking about his goodness, his grace, his love towards the enemies. That becomes a, that becomes a standard for the way we act. But I want to notice the standard he gives. He says, "Be verse verse forty eight, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect." Um. Now, are, are y'all y'all use recovery dynamics? Is that that kind of what you're all going through? That gets to that point where you're talking about doing a a, a fierce moral inventory. Yes, yeah, is that the yeah yeah part 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 of it? Uh, now, what is the standard of our moral inventory that we do? Is always is the question we have to ask. What's the standard that Jesus Christ here gives? He says, "Be ye therefore perfect, not how you and I judge this moral perfection that He's talking about." Um, I think we finished last week talking about Jesus Christ when we were talking about Him being the truth, and we talked about comparing ourselves among ourselves. If I compare myself with Josh, I use Josh because. I feel like he wouldn't punch me in the nose if I use him as an example. I'm not sure about anybody else here, but I don't think he's going to punch me in the nose. So if I compare myself with Josh, you know, I can make myself feel good, right? I can pat myself in the back and say, well, at least I ain't like him, right? Now I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm no, no way better. Or what, but, but you know what I mean, and comparing yourself among yourself or, or whatever. But the standard is not Josh. The standard here is the person of God himself. Peter makes the same the same um, observation. First Peter chapter one. He says in verse thirteen of First Peter one, he says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, and now he quotes Leviticus, be you holy, why? Because I am holy. What is the standard here for our conduct? What is it that we're judging ourselves by? We're judging ourselves by the person of God, the reality of God. So when we talk about doing a, a moral inventory, um, 
it's important for us to understand and set in our mind exactly what that standard is that we judge ourselves by. You're not comparing yourselves with people around you. You're not comparing yourself with your neighbor. You're not saying, well, I know this one guy, and he's much worse than me, so I must be okay. That's not how we judge, ju- judge, our, we judge ourselves by the perfections of God. That's how we know good. That's how we know evil. And that's, in a nutshell, is what I'm going to talk about as we, just, as we talk about ethics for the next few weeks, is the standard is the reality of God. Uh, and that's a scary thing. R.C. Sproul wrote his classic book. If you ever get a chance, if you want to do some reading, uh, find R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. Um, and, and, he note, and he was talking about that very thing that we were talking about last week. And we use Niall as an example. If Niall was that, if I was grading on a curve, and uh, that means if everybody was getting, if everybody was getting 50s, and this one person got a 70, I would consider that 70 to be a hundred, and everybody's 50 would become an 80, and that's kind of what someone does when they're judging on a curve. But if Josh come in and he was, and he was, uh, and he was getting a hundred on every test, and you all were getting a two, uh, you all would. He would be throwing the curve off, right? Uh, so it's a scary thing when we're understanding the absolute holiness, the absolute righteousness of God as a standard. When people realized the holiness of God, and this is what R.C. Sproul brought out in his book, when people realized the holiness of God, it was a fearful thing. Isaiah saw the angels crying out before the throne, holy, 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 as they, as they were worshiping God. And when he saw the glory of God, what did he say? He says, Woe is me, I am unclean. When Peter saw who Jesus Christ was on the boat, he didn't say, well, after catching all them fish, he didn't say, uh, let's go into a fishing venture together. We can make all kinds of money. He realized who Christ was, and he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. So when we're studying studying ethics and we're making God our standard, that's the that's a fearful thing. But the question is, is how do we have morality without that? Um, when we were look, when we we're talking about truth, we we're talking about various ways to look at truth in the culture. Uh, modernism. We start with ourselves. Uh, pre-modernism, or biblical worldview, was truth is known because we start with God. We start with God, and therefore we can discover other things because God is true. Uh, post or modernism came along and says, I can start with myself and I can figure it all out by myself. I think, therefore I am, as Descartes said. Uh, or, or I can start with my experience. I can start with science. I can figure out everything else and I can figure out truth. But in, in that worldview, you were never, when we start applying that to ethics, we can never start with ourselves, start with our observations of the world and ever get to ethics. And that's one of the things I want to bring out as we talk about that today. Uh, postmodernism, there is no starting point. You say there is no ethics, and such a thing is unlivable, and it's starting to become very unlivable in our culture around us. Uh, you can't say that there is no truth and then turn around and try to say that there is ethics. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. If, if, if there is no truth, then murder is okay, I guess, or, 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 or other things like that. Uh, so there's a marriage between that. God gave a warning, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, and I'll just read this, and he pronounces a sorrowful, uh, a, a warning of sorrow upon people who view the world in a certain way. He said, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, he said, Woe unto them that call evil good, 
and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness. That's where we're at in our postmodern world that we live in. Good is evil, light is darkness, uh, and uh, and and evil is good, uh, and and it's flipped upside down. And and it's a sorrowful way that we come to the world, uh, come to view the world, and come to view ethics. But to to the committed Christian, and I I, I am that. Uh, it. When I approach the subject of ethics, it's not controversial. I see things in black and I see things in white. I see things in good and I see things in evil. Why? Because I've been formed by the word of God and it says, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt not covet. That, uh, that, and, and things that it gives me a real morality, a morality that was spoken from the true God that is outside of humanity, uh, that, that sees all things, knows all things, and that is uncontroversial. But in the world that we live in, that's backwards. Uh, some of you all may like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, uh, kind of an allegory after, the, after Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress that he called Pilgrim's Regress. And he tells the story of, um, of a guy that was sitting in the inn, and he, went, and he was hungry, and he ordered some breakfast there at the inn, and, he, and the guy... And the guy brought him out some some uh, some uh, milk, and he was drinking the milk. And he says, "Oh, that's some yum, yummy milk." <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said, well, that's just one secretion that comes from a cow. There's other secretions. There's no difference." <laughs> like okay, and he didn't. He says, "I didn't even want to ask him about the eggs after that." Uh, but but then he says, "Reason came in and rescued him." There is a difference between that which nature means for trash and that's what nature means for nourishment reason allows us to make those decisions all the time we know this is good for nourishment this is good this is good for nothing but to be thrown away and and in in a world that cannot make a difference between things that are evil and things that are good uh, then, then that culture breaks down. That world breaks down. In, in our culture that embraces relative truth and relative beauty, the idea that there is something that is right and something that is wrong is a radical idea anymore. Um, if you start talking like that, if I start saying that something is wrong for someone to do, what what is the reaction we get within our culture? Well, the same thing that we get if I start telling you individually, you're wrong about this or you're wrong about that. Well, how do you react to be told, being told you're wrong? Rebellion. <laughs> I get mad. <laughs> and and, and uh, I don't want to be told I'm wrong. And the culture doesn't want to do it. And what do they do with someone that starts talking in that black and white language? They say that's a hateful person. That's, that's a bigoted person. That, that, that's this. They start giving labels to that. Uh, anybody like The Office? The show The Office? Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact thing, but I remember this quote from uh, from Michael in the office. He says, "He says what is right, what is wrong? It's, uh, who knows? It's unknowable." <laughs> and that's really where our world is. But such a culture where the only absolute evil is to say judgments that are evil, or is to say is the judgment that there are things that are evil, uh, is not a culture that can survive for very long. What's the most quoted verse in the Bible? And it's not even the whole verse. What is the most quoted words in the Bible? Two little words. 
Judge not. <laughs> right? Yeah. Everybody knows those two words. They don't know the rest of the verse or the rest of the chapter. They don't even know the context in which it means. And who cares about context? They know if you start talking about right and wrong, the very first thing they come back with is, you're not supposed to judge me. Who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. <laughs> yeah, only God can judge me. Uh, that's not what the context of that word he just said. But, but, but those are the two most famous words in the Bible today. Used to be John three sixteen. They'd hold up signs at the at the Super Bowl or something. John three sixteen or whatever. Now it's Judge not. <laughs> that's the that's the only two verses words of the scripture most some people know. But we have to know the difference between what's nourishment and what's trash. Uh, how do we know the difference between uh, what art and smut? How do we know the difference between uh, legitimate beauty and pornography? What's the difference between uh, uh, Michelangelo's David and Hustler magazine? Is there a difference? Is there? <laughs> well, yeah, there is. When you when you're looking at when you're looking at real art like Michael Michael Michelangelo's David, what was he trying to do? He was trying to show man as he truly was, naked in the eyes of God. And that's what we are. It was meant to make you contemplate greater realities, greater truths, things of that nature. What's Hustler magazine trying to do? Is it trying to get you to ponder deeper meaning, deeper truth? Is it trying to get you to know God? No. It's trying to elicit you to sinful acts, right? There's a difference between what is nourishment and what is what, what is good and what is evil, what is nourishment and what is trash. And, and a culture that cannot see the difference in these things is a bankrupt, immoral culture. And unfortunately, that's where we're at. A philosophy, the philosophy that they hold may be a short-term gain uh, because it allows us, as long as we view the world in this way, it allows us to really do whatever we want. The people sitting in this room, including me, have justified a lot of things in our lives. We've said it was perfectly okay, knowing in our conscience that it wasn't. But we, but we rationalized it, we judged it, and, and we, we built this ethical framework that makes everything we do okay, even though it's not okay for people to do it to us. But it's okay for us to do it to them. And, and such, such, a, such a world allows us to make that judgment. In the short term, uh, moral relativity leads to great moral corruption. And I've seen that in my own life. Uh, if I allow myself to tell one lie, I can justify another lie, and I can justify another lie, and I can justify another lie, until I come to the point where, hey, what I did, what I said was wrong. Uh, Prophetically, consider even the greater truth of politics. There was once a place, once a historian and philosopher, Tuckerville, came to the United States in the early 1800s, and he was trying to discover what was good about the United States. Now, I know there was probably a lot of evil there in the United States, but the United States had this, at this point in time, a cultural Christianity that made it appear righteous. And he was going around and he says, is, is, is it its political institutions? Is it this? Is it that? And he says, I did not understand what was good about the, about the U.S. until I went into its churches. And I, felt, and I heard the pulpits aflamed with righteousness. And he said, America is good. Because, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, it will cease also to be great. And we're seeing that very, thing, very same thing come out into our society. America has ceased to be great uh, because America has ceased to even think in, the, in these very categories of right and wrong. So that, that's ethics, and, and uh, 
we, we have defined really ethics um, out of our out of our entire uh, system. Um, ethics, as we look at it, the question is, what is good? And for the Christian, what is good is what is is based upon the person, the infinite holy God, the persons of God, and that's the basis for morality. Um, that which is good is that which conforms to His revealed nature. So, if we want to, if we want to define what is good and what is evil, uh, we start with the fact that there is a Creator of all things. That Creator has made divisions and distinctions. What was He doing in creation? He was He created all things, and then He made separations. This is day. This is night. This is land. This is water. This is male. This is female. This is this is this is this kind and that kind and that kind. And He was made divisions, and He was making distinctions, and and He was making separations. And it's all based upon this creator-creature distinction. He's Lord. Everything else is creation. He defines reality. He defines what is right. He defines what is wrong. And all real divisions come. We can only seek understanding from him. Now, the new... The, the new morality says, uh, if you've... If you study psychology or something, or the history of psychology, it says, no, what we need to do is we need to meld all these things into one. There are no distinctions, and everything is one. Yeah, you know, like the Nirvana song, where he gets a, at the end of all apologies, where he says, all in all is all we all are. Yeah. You know, everything is one, man. Uh, you get in the Rafiki stance and say, oh, long enough, and you meld with the infinite, and, that, and there is no good, there is no evil, there is no right, there is no wrong, and we need to join these opposites. Anybody ever read the Satanic Bible? I don't know if you all ever have or not. I have. Uh, do you know what, what, what it says is everything is one, really, man, and you just need to you know, go out and commit adultery because adultery is not good or evil, and we just do it because we need to challenge the things they say is evil and so on and so forth. And, and so they meld what is good and what is evil, uh, and, and they say that there is no difference, that there is no distinction. One of my favorite authors of all time, uh, and he wears me out. He's a, uh, anybody ever heard of Fyodor Dostoevsky? Okay, anybody ever heard of this, the book Crime and Punishment? Yeah. All right, you all have heard of that book. Do yourself a favor one day, read it. <laughs> um, and uh, he's got another one called The Brothers Karamazov. And it wears me out reading Dostoevsky. But I've never put down one of his books that I didn't say, man, I'm glad I read that. In books like Crime and Punishment, his, his thesis is, if there is no God, everything's okay to do. Everything, or in his words, or in a translation of his words, because he wrote it in Russian, everything is permissible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if there is no God, everything's okay to do. Uh, and that that's really where it goes with the story. In Crime and Punishment, he tells a story where this guy says, oh, there is no God, and so there, there's no right and wrong. I could be, I'm, I'm, I'm the Nietzschean Superman. I can go out and do what I want. And he goes out and kills someone to prove that he can, that he, that he can do these things. And, of course, he realizes in the end that there is a God. There is punishment, and that punishment is good. That judgment is good because without those things, we're living in chaos. Um, I think it's um, um, Apology at Church, or I can't remember, Jeff, Jeff Durbin. Uh, he has this tagline to saying it's either Christ or chaos. 
You, there, there is nothing. There is no other choice that we have. If there is no, if there is no God that is truly communicated to this world, all things, then we have nothing. And we see that in the in, in philosophy. Uh, even Immanuel Kant. We talked about Kant's philosophy when we we're talking about truth. Immanuel Kant. I think we did. I, I sometimes skip around. Um, Kant in his philosophy about metaphysics said. Uh, you can't really know God. We can't know anything about God. We can't really know anything about ourselves as we truly are. We can't know anything about the nature of things. But we can, but we can, we can think about the phenomenal world because our brains are so on and so forth. So he did away with God in his philosophy. But then he started trying to write about ethics. And what did he do? He says, "Well, we don't know if there's a God." But it'd be better if we thought there was a God. <laughs> so he snuck God in the back door in his ethics and says, "We need to believe in judgments that there is a final judgment in order to in order to have ethics." Okay, let's say there is no final judgment. You are not accountable for anything that you're doing. Is there a right and wrong? Exactly. But no, I mean, if you start talking about right and wrong, and there is no final judgment. There is no accountability. The scriptures say every one of us shall give an account of ourselves to God. There is a judgment. We will stand before God. We will give an account of what we have done in this life. And Kant saw that when he was trying to do moral philosophy. In fact, everything about his moral philosophy destroyed his metaphysics <laughs> because he says we can't really know God over here, but we sure need to know God over here. And that, that's that, that's that's the that's the failure of his metaphysical philosophy. There is a God, and without that God, you cannot have ethics. Without that God who has communicated to us and revealed Himself in this world, there is no ethics. Um, deists saw that same way. When you think of a deist, we often think of someone who doesn't believe in God. A deist believed in God. Believed in God. They believed in the idea of final judgment. Uh, Thomas Jefferson. Some of those people. Uh, they had that. That was their reasoning. Of course, I'm not talking about the God of deism who set, who wound the clock and stepped back and let everything go, and one day will come back and judge it. There's a God that's present, a real God that is present right where you are, who is seeing, evaluating, and judging all things, and one day we will meet Him. One day we will stand before him and he will say, give an account. That's the necessity of ethics. Now, I don't. how long have I been going? I don't know. I might be boring you all to tears for all I know. Uh, and I could go on forever. I want to talk, before we talk about the positive message of ethics from the scriptures, what do we need to have ethics? I want to talk a little bit about can we have ethics without God? I, uh, an atheist program in Canada bought a bunch of billboards, and they said, uh, and they said um, on these buses, so they put this message on buses and billboards everywhere throughout the country. Uh, so basically, it said this: It says there probably is no God, so go, so stop worrying and do whatever you want. <laughs> Something to that effect. Uh, that, that, that's uh, that's a uh, that's uh, not, not a very tentative uh, way to live your life. You go Do what you want. You may or may not have to answer for it. That's the best atheist, I guess, could do in Canada. 
But uh, or can you ground that? So one of the arguments that atheists make um, is I don't need God. I don't need God to be ethical. I can do good and I, I, I can do what is right without believing in God. If you talk to an atheist long enough, that's one of the assertions they'll make. And I'll say, you're right. You don't need God in order to do right. There's a lot of atheists that are and agnostics that are uh, that are pretty good people. They, uh, they, they if they see someone hungry, they may feed them. You know, they they they, they, they may give the charity. Uh, although I would say that there's not a whole lot of charities that were start, started by atheist uh, organizations. Uh, you think about the great charities, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan and and. Uh, and the Red Cross and things like that. They were all Christian social services kind of kind of beginnings. But but you're right. They don't need someone does not need to believe in God to go do good. Do do good. They have. But what they need is God for the concept of good and evil to even exist. Um, the need. So let's try to let's try to say. What are some various ways that people try to say they could have ethics without God? Uh, the first way is the observable phenomenon. We can just study nature, we can study the world, and we can come up with ethics. Um, so, um, so what is that? So you start with this material philosophy that all we have is this natural world, and... This world runs by runs regularly and so on and so forth, and the and the space time and matter is all there is. There is no God. We've done away with God. Now, how do we get to ethics? How do we make that jump? Uh, so we observe the world. What do we observe in the world is cause and effect, right? Uh, this happens and this happens. This causes this, um, and. Do we get morality from that? Is there, is there, a, if you have a pendulum swinging, can that is that pendulum being moral? <laughs> no, it's it's not being moral. Morality does not exist in a swinging pendulum. Uh, there is no moral difference. Let's say all that there is no God, and all you are is the chemical reactions in your brain. All right. So um, I'm just going to keep picking on Josh, a because I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody else, and um, and I'm afraid I'll call you, call someone by the wrong name because I can't remember names. And all right, so there's chemical reactions that's happening in Josh's brain right now. What's causing those chemical reactions? Does hit him as a free individual? No, it's the laws of cause and effect are causing those chemical reactions in his brain. All right, so Josh. Based upon the chemical reactions in his brain, Josh helps an old lady across the street. All right? I come along. There's chemical reactions going on in my brain. What's causing those chemical reactions? The law of cause and effect, right? The same thing that's causing the chemical reactions in my brain that is causing me to act is the same, is the same laws, of, laws of nature that are causing him to act. I beat up the old lady and take her purse. Is there a moral difference between me and him? If all there is is chemical reactions, bags of fizz, reacting to the laws of cause and effect, there's no difference. There's no morality in a swinging pendulum. It's just swinging according to the laws of nature. 
In fact, Richard Dawkins, the atheist, argued that all we are is dancing to our DNA. We're doing what our DNA, DNA, our DNA tells us to do. We're doing what the laws of nature have prescribed for us. So there is no difference. Him, him helping the old lady across the street and me beating up the old lady and taking her purse has no moral difference if all there is is time, space, and matter governed by the law of cause and effect. There's no morality there. So you can't go to the observable phenomenon and say this is all there is and we should be ethical. It doesn't happen like that. There's no difference between kindness and cruelty. Uh, if I say, what's your name again? Devin? Tim. 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 I'm part of hearing too. Tim, if I say, Tim, would you like a cup of hot, uh, cup of hot coffee? And Tim says yes because he loves coffee. All right, I guess I don't know if you do or not. And, and I bring him a cup of coffee, I'm being kind, right? All right. If I brought him the coffee and instead of giving him the coffee, poured that bowl and cup a cup of hot water all, or a cup, cup of coffee all over his head, I'd be being cruel. But is there a difference in a world of that's governed by cause and effect only? No, there isn't. There is no difference between kindness and cruelty. It's just chemical reactions causing us to act. So if you say that's all there is, you can never get to a right and wrong. And the problem is, like we talked about last week, the problem is the Nuremberg problem. They want to bring the Nazis to trial for killing all, for killing all the Jews, right? So they kill these six million Jews. They want to bring them to trial uh, for crimes against humanity. They want to try them, but not on the, on the transcendent law of God. They want, to, they want to try them upon what we all commonly observe to be right and wrong by studying the world. The problem is, is there is no blade of grass that you could put under a microscope. There is no chemical that you can drop on a litmus paper. There is no, there is no lab test that you can do that comes back and says, thou shalt not kill. It doesn't happen. In fact, what do we observe in nature? Were we talking about, were we talking about the movie Natural Born Killers last week? Yeah. Y'all seen that movie, Natural yeah. Born Killers? Okay, yeah. what was his argument? This is what we do in nature. I'm just doing what... <coughs> I'm a natural-born killer, and I'm just doing what my instincts <coughs> So right to a man. Yeah, yeah, what seems right to a man. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing what, what, what nature gave me to do. How do you argue that if all there is is time, space, and matter governed by the law? Of, if you study nature, you have this truth. Nature is red in tooth and claw. Yeah, uh, my, my kid likes Madagascar. Uh, and you have that, you know, you have a, the uh, uh, Fats Domino or uh, I forget which one singing. It's a, what a wonderful world in the background as they're walking back. And, they, and they, they see this animal attack this an animal and this animal eat this other animal and this animal. Well, that's, all, that's what we, there is. Nature is red in truth, tooth and call. And if all there is is the processes of evolution, do, when, uh, when an eagle swoops down and kills a rabbit or snatches something away from another bird, did they steal? Did they kill? Did we say that, that, that eagle was really immoral? Survival of it is. <laughs> no, survival. If all you have is that process, there is no evil. There is no good. 
we can't live like that. And we know it's wrong when we're talking about these <laughs> problems. <be> <laughs> we, 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 we don't watch Animal Planet and get mad at the lion for killing the, the antelope, do we? Uh-uh. No. We're not, we're not saying that. That lion is immoral. I cannot believe how wicked this lion is. No. We know. I, I had this person once tell me, uh, you know, we were talking. We were talking about. We were talking about some some something. Something regarding sexuality or something like that, and uh, and this this lady in this class I, I remember it was a history class. I think it was an ancient history class, and she says, "Well, well, dogs do that." And I said, "Well, you don't base your morality on what you see dogs do, do you?" I mean, dog. I I, I had a dog once that ate its own young. It, I mean, it literally ate its own puppies. Now, if you eat your young, I'm going to say that's wrong. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get on this dog for eating its puppies. It, it just. I, it was. It was. I, I don't. That was a weird dog, anyway. But, but what I'm saying is, is we don't. We, we don't study the world around us and come up with morality. We can't. Um, material philosophy is a bankrupt moral moral system. And that's why more, and if it's not livable, it's not a good philosophy. What's wrong with evolution? You can't live like that. You can't. We can't live by, we, we, we can't live based upon survival of the fittest, which doesn't make sense anyway as, 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 a, as a metaphysical category. But you can't, it's, a, it's an unlivable philosophy. You cannot base moral truth on such, on such grounds. Uh, we intuitively know evil exists. If I beat my wife tonight, I've done something evil. But they cannot go to material philosophy or evolutionary ideology and say that I did anything evil. That's why when you argue and say, well, they'll dance, when you get into these debates, they'll dance around the subject. Is it wrong? Is child molestation wrong? Well, I don't like it. <laughs> it, no, it, 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 is it wrong though? Uh, David Hume said all moral philosophy is just a matter of preference. Like, uh, what kind of ice cream do you like, Josh? Strawberry. You like strawberry? I can't believe how immoral you are liking <laughs> strawberry ice cream. I'm moral on moose tracks. Yeah. yeah. Mo- Seriously, man, come on. <laughs> moose tracks. If you do not just, if, if you're not eating vanilla ice cream, that's wrong. It's not a taste preference. It's not like I like vanilla, you like strawberry, you like moose tracks. We all get along. I like murder. You like you like anarchy. You like uh, um, you, you like domestic violence. It's, it's not like that. It's not like I, I don't like murder. Yuck. It's not an emotional thing uh, like that. I think I'm getting ahead of myself when I'm talking about that. But this, these are unlivable philosophies. And we know they're wrong on the face. It sounds absurd if you're comparing morality to ice cream. It sounds absurd if you're wanting to talk about good and evil. And you're talking about evolution. These are not, these are not moral systems. They are amoral systems. They are empty of morality. Uh, and it goes right back to what Dostoevsky said. If there is no God... Everything's permissible. But we know everything is not permissible. It's not okay for me to go beat my wife up tonight. 
it's not okay for that person out there to molest a child. It's not. We know it's not. It's not okay for Hitler to kill six million Jews. It's not. It's not okay. A lot of things are not okay, and we know it. And when we look at these other systems, we know that they are absolutely unlivable. So what do we do if we base? All right, so, so the observable phenomenon is not going to give us morality. It's not going to give us a real right and wrong. What if we base it on authority? On whose authority? I think you said it a second ago. Who says? You're always going to have to answer that question. Uh, John Stuart Mill uh, and uh, Jeremy Bentham came up with utilitarianism. What, what, what is good is what's, what, 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 what gives the most happiness to the most people. Well, who, who is defining what happiness is? Who is defining what good is? Who's defining what is, uh, uh, who is doing this calculus? You know, Hitler thought he was doing the most good for the most people in Germany when he was doing a lot of the things he did. Pragmatism. Uh, whatever works. Well, that's good. Uh, it, the, the utilitarianism and pragmatism are not bad things. If you already know what is good and how to get there, th those might be good tools for how to do it. But you have to know what is good first. Hitler was a pragmatist. But that didn't make what Hitler did right. And when we have, the problem is, is when we step away from whoever is applying utility or pragmatism to, to a problem, we have to be able to step right back and say, okay, are they doing right? Authority does not, does not make something right. Uh, authority is great if you have a good king working towards good ends. But what happens when you have an evil king? How are you going to judge that king? Uh what about uh, uh, accepted sentiments? If you go to if you go to a college classroom on ethics, there are certain things that they're going to teach you, and really, what they are in philosophy is what we call tautologies, just just empty statements, um, just meaningless statements. Uh, we talked about Kant. Kant had this uh, th this uh, asserted sentiment. He said, basically, uh, follow the golden rule. The golden rule's right. All right? Uh, well, that's, that's, uh, that couldn't, with his metaphysics, we had to come back and we have to come back and ask Kant if we could. He's been dead for a couple hundred years. Why? Why should I follow the golden rule? Why should I care about my, brother, about my neighbor? Why should I care about this person or that person? Why should I not do what's good for what I think is good for me instead of what's good for them. It cannot, uh, it cannot bear the question, why? We have, uh, we have most ethics uh, follows uh, people like Gert who say, really ethics boils down to this, do no harm. Well, you can go around doing no harm all day and you can be an unethical person, right? Uh, and by the way, how do we know what harm is? And why, do you, why, why does Gert believe doing harm is evil? How did he arrive at that conclusion? These are just assert, assertions that are made without a foundation. What about, what about pure reason? Can I reason my way, stepping away from the observation, can I reason my way to good and evil? Like Aristotle or Plato. Um, uh, Pla Plato, Aristotle, a lot of these people just said, seeking pleasure. Gaining pleasure and avoiding pain, that's how we know it's, what's good and evil. Seriously, if you want to boil the Nicomachean ethics of Aristotle down, that's it. 
Well, I can think of a lot of things that give pleasure and avoid pain that are wicked. And we know they're wicked. Right? And by, by the way, cowardice is considered to be wrong in about every culture. But cowardice avoids pain and seeks pleasure and gains pleasure. But we know it's wrong. We know that there are real categories of good and evil, right and wrong. And pure reason doesn't get us there. And applying calculus to that pure reason, like utilitarianism does, doesn't get us there. Well, can we just come to a fifth point? There is no right and wrong. Well, here's the problem. God wrote his law on our hearts, Romans chapter 2. You and I know that there is good and evil. And by the way, we know we're guilty of doing evil, every single one of us. But what, what about this? There is a longing in the heart of every human being for justice. Right? You want to know why that's there? Because there's a real, there, because good and evil are real categories. And the longing for justice is a real thing. And if there is no good and evil, that longing and justice is like a, like a man dreaming, of, a hungry man dreaming of food, but food doesn't exist. That's, that's, that's foolishness. There is no system of ethics that ignores the existence of God as Lord and lawgiver that can stand the scrutiny of the question why. Why should I be kind to Tim? I got the right name right, right? Why should I be kind to Tim instead of cruel, pouring a cup of coffee on him? Because God has said he's in the image of God. And that, and that matters. He's created in the image of God just like I am. That's what makes it wrong for me to kill him or to mistreat him or to not love him love him as my neighbor as much as I love myself god is the standard what god has revealed of himself is a standard when you take that away then we don't have right and wrong but like i said this is a scary scary category because once we admit that god is lord and he's revealed his his nature and he's revealed his will to us we're standing there again like Isaiah or like Peter. And we're saying, I'm unclean. <laughs> I, I, as long as I can just compare myself among myself and I can just you know, do what's right in my own eyes, I, I could feel good. But this is his, this, this is a, his country, his territory, his laws. And I'm judged by that. And that is a scary thing. Uh, next week I want to get into this a little bit deeper, but I, I, I pray that... Uh...